Welcome to episode 295 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting it. You can do that by making a donation, either one time or continuing, to the tip jar. I've put a link to that in the show notes, which you can find at the website or on your podcast app. Or you could buy some merch at the new online store, shop.stageworthyproductions.com. In the store, you'll find Stageworthy t-shirts, mugs, stickers, as well as merch from some of my other projects, including the much-coveted God Chose Me to Deliver His New Commandment and All I Got Was This Stupid T-Shirt t-shirt from the Commandment. All your purchases and tip jar donations go towards Stageworthy and help me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. And if you can't donate or buy from the store, please consider rating and reviewing the show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review right in the podcast app. And if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can still review the show by going to podchaser.com, searching for Stageworthy, and rating the podcast there. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you for your support. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 295 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guests this week are Megan Legesse and Gwyneth McFall-Gorman. Megan and Gwyneth join me to talk about Black Deer and Blizzard, which appears as part of the Hamilton Fringe starting July 14th. Just as a as a question for each of you, I guess I'll go with Megan first. If you were to describe uh, yourself as a, as a performer or an artist, what if somebody you were talking? If you had to give an elevator pitch, how would you describe your artistic practice? Oh, that's a great question. Um, uh, I would say uh, I'm a storyteller who focuses a lot on movement in my artistry. That's fascinating. Um, and, and movement, just like uh, sort of like in a dance fashion, or, or tell me a little bit more about that. Um, sure. Yeah. Like when I trained in theater in school, like uh, I learned a lot about how to use movement in my body. And sometimes that's like through dance. Sometimes that's just like through how I feel, like how my body moves. I, I don't even know. And I'm not even, and, and, I love, I love movement theater, like theater gargantua, um, so much movement theater I see in like fringe and summer works. I love it so much. Mm. And, um, that's a lot of what I do, like creation based as an artist. That's a lot of what Mm. I create. Um, and that's like something I really like to continue to get better at, especially in this digital age. Yeah. Cause the digital platforms are so conducive to movement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> we will get. We will absolutely get back to that, uh, Gwyneth. Uh, same question to you. How would you describe your artistic practice? Well, unfortunately, I'm not nearly as good of a dancer as Megan is. Oh um, no, no, and, no. <laughs> and unfortunately, I have like three left feet. So, um, I, I definitely, I find my characters in their voices, and 
Megan would know this because she's heard me try many variations of, of Beverly's voice, my character in the play. Um, but I was a musician before I was an actor. And to me, a character's voice, it is deter- both determinant and indicative of their physicality, right? Their posture, the way that mm-hmm. they move, the way that they hold their head, the way that they hold their neck. Um, so once I've grounded myself in a character's voice, that's where I find their communication styles and and their their movements and their physicality. Hmm. But it has to start hmm. with me for the sound of them, hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Because how how somebody how a character speaks tells you so much about about their body, about all of them, right? Yeah, about where they're from, you know, who they grew up with, what kind of music they listen to, you know, that hmm. all that stuff is that's what I really enjoy kind of uh one day anyway, I hope to be a very good character actor. <laughs> so um, that that's really where I, I find the most um, intrigue hmm. for me. It's like a puzzle. Hmm. Now, would one of you like to give me the elevator pitch for Black Deer and Blizzard? Oh, Megan? Oh, Gwen, you, you better go. You're, you're, you're the voice. You're the I, like voice how you're bo- I love how you're both like, not me. Gwen is a star, so Gwen will <laughs> Um, Black Deer in Blizzard is an incredible new play about our contemporary relationship with media and media personality. That is what I would say. We've we've had such a tumultuous couple years, I think we can all agree, um, with people redefining what news is Hmm. and who newscasters are. And as our producer, Joseph often tells us, there's no such thing as a speech without a personal bias. Mm -hmm. So our play really explores the personalities behind what you see on your television and the often unseen drama and trauma that can happen before they're on the camera. Um, So that's what we're really playing with is the idea of what's happened versus what you're seeing. Hmm. How is that, Megan? Spot on. <laughs> I think one of the things that I find, <laughs> nice. One of the things that I find interesting about about media these days is just in general, pretty much anybody who has the technical know-how can create something that looks like a professional news story. Yes. And mm-hmm. put that online and claim that it is news. Mm-hmm. And because in many ways we are trained to see that as because, oh, it looks like news. It must be news. In many cases, uh, you know, sometimes people don't dig deeper to find out what is the source of this. They just sort of think, ah, it is news. It is said with authority and it looks, it's well-produced. Therefore it must be news. Yeah. There's a, there's a conviction that comes with everybody's ability nowadays to Mm. be the broadcaster. You know Mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. So come see the play, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. I mean, no, you're you're producing it digitally because that's what we got now. Yeah. Um, what does? Let's start with this. What surprised you about ha, about performing in a digital production? Lots of things for both of us, I'm sure. Like, do you want to? Do you want to? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to that? like surprised is an interesting. I mean, I guess it's like, I mean, it's nice that I can like still feel things online if that makes sense. Like, mm. um, I really miss just being in a studio and like feeling other people, yeah. like 
like even when you don't talk like you can just feel other people's energy and mm-hmm. and like life i just miss feeling life um and it's been it's been interesting like i can i still feel like there's a piece of that we can still find um mm-hmm. while working digitally um especially like me and gwen have a scene where we're just like like um, we have so much oomph in it and so much energy mm. in it. We really like have to look at each other and feel each other. And it's amazing that mm-hmm. we can still kind of do that. I, I never really thought that could happen. Mm. I mean, it's not the same, but it's no. still nice that there's like a piece there still. Mm. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's been this game of where in a, in a theater space, we'd be playing tennis. Now we're playing more like a battle pong, mm-hmm. right? It's a, yeah. uh, the, the volleying, exactly what Megan talked about. We have some really emotionally heightened scenes in this play. It's only going to run about 40, 45 minutes as a mm. runtime, but the the peaks and the valleys are pretty intense. Three mm. characters, three very different relationships. Mm. Um, and, and a lot happens in a short amount of time. And in our rehearsals, it's been, I have found it almost in a way reassuring I didn't realize how dependent I was as a stage actor on being able to move in a space mm. and being able to move with my lines and learn my lines as I learn my blocking. Right, Meg? You, you feel that, right? Yeah. I think also, yeah. like, our characters are, I don't, like, <laughs> are, they carry their energy very different. So it's been yes. strange, like, kind of not being able to do that. Because mm. mm-hmm. yeah. we're so different, I, Katrina and... um Bev, very different people. Yeah, it's it's it is certainly difficult because I know for me, um, one of the things that always helps me to learn my lines is the blocking. Yeah. If I'm on my feet, moving around, we do that often enough. I'll just find those words in my body. Yeah, exactly. And you'll find the moments when the words mean the most, and yes. when the person opposite you is giving you something small in their body language that just Mm -hmm. excites you so much because it's opened up this whole new door and we can only really give each other that in looks glances you know maybe Mm -hmm. changing our shoulders because and you know i'm not even gonna lie the amount of times that i end up looking at myself on zoom to be like am i doing this right you know what i mean that is that is literally for me the biggest frustration of zoom in general i wish i could turn off my ability to see myself. You can. Yeah. I don't know what you... It's hide self view. I've never seen myself in the past year. Really? I can't do it. it, it I tried doing it once and I literally got nervous. I went, but but, but what if I'm not broadcasting the emotion that I think I'm broadcasting? <laughs> oh, no. It, it, like, it like turned into a film thing in my head and, yeah. and it really messed with me. I've been shutting it off when we're doing our full runs, but mm. oh, it, it it bugs me, man. I Just generally, I always find that the problem with Zoom is that because I'm there, and this is the same with all of the media platforms is that I'm there. And especially if I'm in meetings, I'm always like, is my face doing what I think it's doing? Oh, I've got, I look angry. Okay. Do something with your face. It's not looking angry or whatever it is. It's so distracting. Mm -hmm. It's been, it's been a wild ride. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, One of the things that, you know, for me has been missing from uh, digital production is the ability to feel not just your other actors, but the audience to really mm-hmm. sense the audience as a, as a presence. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like, you know, as much as, you know, the digital theater, zoom theater, however it is, however much uh, we may, you know, it's what's sort of keeping us afloat right now. 
I don't think anybody is really thinking, I really prefer this over being in a theater. You know, I think that it's that we need that. We need the audience to feel each other and we need to feel them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's been, uh, it's been kind of heartbreaking in a way. Mm. I mean, I know Megan's been working on her own phenomenal show with a, with a fringe (laughs) festival. Um, No. And and you've got to go through it from, from the directing side, from a writing Mm. and producing kind of side. Um, Several months ago now, I guess in February and March, I did, uh, a small Zoom series with some theaters in Toronto. I did uh, a play with Night Swimming and a play with Tarragon mm-hmm. over Zoom. And they were like staged readings and stuff, or staged uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Zoom readings, right? Yes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had like audiences. We had like 50 or 60 people there. And, and in one of the plays, we had a cast of like 15, which was oh, wow. unreal. We did a whole day of rehearsing Zoom exits and entrances. Wow. And it was one of those things you sit there. It is so surreal. Um, and, you know, you're watching it and you've got your screen off. You've got a scene off or something and you're watching the play and you're going, God, I hope the audience is enjoying this. You know, I hope they're understanding what I'm trying to do. I hope they're getting what I'm putting down, you know. And at the end, you know, people are still saying, oh, this was great. I had a great time. I really needed this. But, you know, you're so right, Phil. It's like it's maybe a, a B minus mm. as to, as to what we're all, you know, wanting, what we're all urging for to, to be in a space together, experiencing something together. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so hard. There's also this, a certain amount of, of chaos as far as something like zoom goes, because oh yeah nothing is in, is in actual real time. Mm-hmm. You hear me. I mean, the, na- the natural lag for a Zoom meeting is 0.05 milliseconds, which is nothing until I'm trying to do a scene with you. Mm-hmm. And there's always that beat before you hear what I've said and then you speak and we don't know, like, what's happening. Or is this a dramatic pause? Did you hear, am I muted? What happened? It's just there's so much potential chaos. The amount of beats that we've had rehearsing this show where <laughs> Megan and I are like holding eye contact. <laughs> and then she'll be like, did you say your line? And I'll be like, no, did you? <laughs> yes, yeah. Did you freeze? <laughs> That's the other thing is, you know, you kind of have to, because, you know, it's one thing when like somebody drops a pen in a scene in a theater or somebody misses yeah. their their entrance. We can handle that. But if somebody freezes or is disconnected, what do we do? Yeah, it takes you right out of it. Yeah. Megan, what is the show that you're directing? Please tell me about oh, yeah. that. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to mess it up for everyone on my team. Um, uh, so I'm directing um, an audio drama for Toronto Fringe Festival. Mm. It's called Swallow the Skin. Um, and I created it uh, in my final year uh, in theater school with a bunch of uh, BIPOC women, mm. uh, BIPOC women, uh, queer women. Um, and it's kind of a, a collection of stories, monologues, poems, um, memories, uh, all set in a nightclub in downtown Toronto. Um, oh. Yeah. And it, it was like we originally we wrote it um, to be staged. Like I said, like I love mm-hmm. movement and I really wanted to incorporate movement. That's why we wanted it set in a club. Um, but it's cool because turning it into an audio play like has taught me a lot and how to play with like what Gwen said, like voice and sound and what that means in theater. So it's been fun. It's been yeah. fun. 
Audio drama is such a fascinating thing to try to work with, to to build a scene so that people are hearing it, but just to put in just enough so that they can kind of see it too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of learning, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. especially because it's not like the show is a truly like devised show. Like it's not like a standard play. Right. Um, all the actors, like it's written by about 20 people and with 20 stories all stapled and glued together. Mm. Um within these vo- like within like all these different voices so it's been hard like trying to find okay how does this scene shift how can we show the audience we're in a different room because they can't see or i see a stage direction that says light switch and i'm like we don't have lights how do we tell them we're in a different room <laughs> so stuff like that has been something but yeah it's been a lot of learning a lot of yeah there's a lot of learning i did a, i did an audio drama for christmas last year sort of like turned a solo piece into an audio drama mm-hmm. and it was a thing. <laughs> so much to do, so much to learn. Yeah. Uh, speaking about, about theater school, I think this is like a, a great opportunity, a great moment to talk about for each of you, your theater origin stories. What is it oh. that, that made you want to become a performer, a theater artist? What is it? Was your gateway drug? What was it that brought you into the world of theater and made you want to do it? Spicy question, Phil. Spicy question. Uh, Meg, do you want to go first? You have a cooler story. I do. I don't know what, what story that is. I'm trying to... Um, for me, I mean, I always loved uh, stories in any capacity. Um, like poems, books, theater. Um, yeah, I don't even know how... I think... I mean, I was the most annoying theater kid in high school, probably. <laughs> and, I, and I think uh, we did that standard English uh, class thing where you go see a Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is, what is this? I like this. Obviously, I had no idea what was happening because I was <laughs> in 10th grade and didn't know Shakespeare very well. But like, it was the first time I ever saw theater. And then um, I was lucky enough to participate in um, a lot of, the youth training that soul pepper offered when I was uh, in high school. And I actually trained with them for a summer. And I was like, I really like this. I really, really like this. Um, Mm. And I really needed to do it. Mm. Uh, And I really, I learned that like in my year between high school and then actually going to, to uni for theater, like I really needed to do it. And I really knew that my voice needed to be heard through this medium. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's been a fun ride since. Do you do you recall your first exposure to theater? There must have been some moment when you realized it was a thing. When I saw for Colored Girls at Soul Pepper, probably hmm. then. Hmm. I didn't even know that I I had never I didn't know theater could be for me like that mm. until I saw until I saw that play. I didn't know that like I that was for me like theater was like for me and not just mm-hmm. me like who like my identity or like no but like me like Megan um and then I saw that plan I was like oh this is for me like this was written for me this is directed for me like this is mine and I was like oh I, I wanted like this is for me so I can keep doing that I can keep doing this so so in essence it was I mean just to, to just to, to come out and say it like a lot of the theater that you had maybe seen before that was 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 white people. I mean, 
I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Sure. Because, like, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's most of Shakespeare, which I, like, was my first kind of knowledge of theater, mm-hmm. um, like, in school. But, yeah, like, I didn't, I once I started hearing, like, not just black theater, but, like, black women theater, like, for mm. colored girls, mm-hmm. Harlem Duet, like, I, re- like, changed my life. Mm. Like, I read it, mm-hmm. Harlem Duet. Um, yeah. Like when I heard like re- like really specific stories to me like was was I think it. Hmm. And you went to did you end up going to you went to York? Yes, I went. Uh, I I've just well, I'm about to finish. Haha, York. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> at York. <laughs> about to finish my BFA in acting in like two weeks. Oh well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> It was the, when, in terms of like choosing the school, did you did you aim for York or were you casting I, a wide net? I, that was the, I actually only applied to York, like one theater school, and that was York, um, hmm. because <laughs> uh, because it's hard to go into the arts. Is like I mean, um, like I'm a first generation Canadian. Like I had to push and be like, this is what I want to do, and I applied to like a bunch of other different schools for like you know, psych or English mm-hmm. or the traditional route. And then I was like, if I get in and if I get into the acting program, which is um, you have to audition again, which they only take about 16 folks. Mm. I was like, this is for me. And so that was kind of like the, the, the bet I had with my family. Um, so that's how it went. Did you feel any pull to those other programs at all? Not for the right reasons. <laughs> not, for, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Hmm. What if you'd gotten into like the the uh, the theater program and one of the other ones? I did. I got into every school I applied to with scholarships to all of them. Like oh. scholarships. I'm telling oh. you, though, she's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I think I got like a full ride to one school and or right. no, a full ride. Well, they can't promise all four years, but like no. maintain. Um, and <laughs> my family was like, "Have you lost your mind?" <laughs> to be poor at theater school and i was like no i promise i'll figure it out i mean they're, su- they're super super supportive but i mean like i totally get it like that's crazy um so it, it was yeah there was definitely some pull but i i'm i mean so far i stand by my decision and i hope i stand by it forever i'm sure i mean there's i mean i think with most families there's going to be some kind of push around for sure that thing um, I think right. also it's a little bit harder for 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 kids who are uh, first generation Canadians. Yeah. There are other things tied up in that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, yeah, it's just it's like there's so much privilege to be an artist, like like so much. Like, I'm endlessly humbled that I'm mm. able to do like even to study. Like, mm-hmm. I'm so humbled, especially like like I'm so humbled. Um, and so like it's it's like just teaching like my family to learn that and, and be excited about it is great. Mm-hmm. It's been fun watching, like teaching each other about art and stuff. Now, were you doing devised theater while you were at York or is that something that you were sort of doing on the side? Yeah, no, I'm, so I'm like, uh, c- like trained in acting. I was in the acting conservatory. Well, I'm still huh, I'm almost done <laughs> in the acting conservatory. And, um, yeah, what, like what happened was like, as I was training as an actor, a lot of the texts we were given, um, I, I I was like I I need something more something mm. more something me I couldn't find my voice enough, and um, I that's how I kind of like 
bothered the other theater students who weren't enacting and was like, tell me about what you're, you're doing. And then I learned about what device theater was. And then within my training at York through acting, like I learned about movement. I did movement work with Erica Batdorf, who's phenomenal. Mm. Um, and that opened me a lot to movement work. And then I started uh, creating shows and directing shows like outside my degree for York, mm. um, which has been great. Like I would have never found like creation or movement or directing um, without like without going to a, a wide theater school rather than just a specific conservatory and only. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thing. Absolutely. That's great. Mm-hmm. Gwyneth, would you like to share your uh, uh, theater origin story with us? Oh goodness. Uh, yes. Yes, I can. Um, see, I told you Megan is just super interesting and super smart and she could do anything she wanted to. Why um, are you getting to do this one? <laughs> I adore you. Don't. Um, I, I had a I had a very non-linear uh, path to theater um, in the way that I made the mistake that Megan was smart enough not to make. And I went to school. I went to university for a different program um, and for the wrong reasons. Um, I grew up uh, just outside of New York City, actually, um, in Connecticut. And my mom was Canadian and my dad was American. And we kind of spent our whole life, you know, going up to visit Canadian relatives and going back down to Connecticut. And that's where I went to school and everything. Um, And I really can't pinpoint a moment. I think as soon as I was young enough to know what an actor was, Hmm. I wanted to be one. And I had this, I loved making people laugh. Hmm. I loved making people feel things. I loved writing funny jokes and um, testing them out to the great annoyance on my parents. <laughs> and, uh, they were always so supportive and they said, do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy. And, you know, you grow up and, and your priorities change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, this is something I'm supposed to do. So I actually was in pre-engineering in high school, um, doing theater, doing drama club, but doing it because it was something I loved to do. Um, I didn't think I was going to have a career in it. I didn't think I'd ever be that talented or be that lucky. And, uh, so I ended up going to Queens in Kingston, Ontario for engineering. Um, and I was there for about two and a half years. Um, and I got back from an internship, uh, out in Alberta, uh, working as a, as an engineering intern. And I just kind of sat there and I'll never forget the day. It was a Tuesday in second week of first semester of my third year of engineering. And I'm sitting in class listening to my professor tell us that our final exam was going to be 80% of our final grade. Um, and, and I just remember sitting there and looking at this going, and it was like a light bulb clicked and it went, Oh my God, it doesn't have to be like this. Like uh, my, my soul was drained. I knew what I wanted to do with my mm-hmm. life. I knew who I wanted to be and the, and the things that I wanted to accomplish and the stories I wanted to tell and the lifetimes that I wanted to experience all in my own. Um, And I realized that if I died tomorrow, I asked myself this question, if I died tomorrow, would I be proud of the life I had lived thus far? And the answer was no. Mm. There was really no way around it. There was no like lying to myself about it. Um, And I, I just got up from that class on that Tuesday and I walked to the registrar's office and I said, I'm switching into drama. And that was it. And I think I told mm. my parents two months later. <laughs> they, you know, they handled it pretty well. I got to give them credit. Were they pleased? No. But um, they they handled it pretty okay. And they said, all right, if that's what you're going to do, do it. And we're here for you if and when it fails. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> that was kind of, I was like, Ooh, okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I jumped right into drama and I finished my, my bachelor's at Queens in drama, um, in about two and a half years and, um, popped right out and just, and exactly touching on what Megan was talking about. I, I went in because I was obsessed with people mm. and, and different stories and living different lives and being different things. Um, and once I got there, I realized just how many stories there are. And I know that sounds funny or, or naive, but um, some of my favorite classes, uh, actually, I will give props to this class. One of my favorite classes in my fourth year was Indigenous Playwrights at Queens. Mm. Um, and I read some of the most incredible pieces of, of theater that I have ever read to this point. Um, and it just constantly, as a craft, mm. it's constantly making me fall back in love with it even when I'm frustrated with it, even when I'm <laughs> angry, you know, um, I'm constantly falling back in love with it because there's always something new. There's always something, even if it's a small something. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of been my path. And now, you know, I live in Toronto. I'm a full-time, I work in film and theater and just got my actor card. Like we're just, we're, mm-hmm. we're going. Um, yeah. All right. So question for you, mm-hmm. why engineering? Oh God. Don't I ask myself that every day? Um, actually, it's. it's I'm going to little... pop in and say because sometimes people are like I wasted so much time. No, you were you 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 try you were out and you you lived among. This is something that I, I think sometimes I think a lot of actors need to do. We need to live among regular people. You need to see the other side. Yeah, we, and need, I to, thought, we need to I be with not theater people science. for a bit. <laughs> I did the math and science thing, kids. It was it was terrible. <laughs> It was, ah, oh God, it was like a room full of people who were so smart and didn't know how to talk to each other and didn't know how to write <laughs> things. And it was so sterile. The environment was just so sterile. And the the truth is, is that I, I was a huge, and I still am, a massive nerd, and I'm so proud of it. I built robots in high school. I was one of those kids. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I was on a robotics team. Um, I was like... Uh, you know, girl captain of the of the of the women engineering club. I was I was all gung ho and for it because I it was it interests me and it still interests me. I really do like math and science, but uh, at the end of the day, um, it was not what I wanted to devote my life to, and I, I really did feel like I was wasting it. Um, mm. But you know, I, it sounds silly as well. But when I'm acting, there are certain things that having a bit of a math mind helps me with Hmm. Um, there's certain scenes, certain characters, certain tempos of works that being able to dissect it and almost look at it like a formula can be really helpful. Hmm. Um, And, and sometimes just sitting there and, and thinking about it from an artistic lens and then taking a breath, stepping back and going, okay, let's look at this from an objective lens, right. Or, or as much Hmm. objectivity as I can render. Um, it, it has given me a perspective. I feel like that, that is a little, a little unique, a little of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have absolutely no regrets about any of the time that I spent. I don't, I don't consider it time wasted at all. I feel like, you know, I got good at something that I'm not going to use every day in my career, but I can, I'm really proud of it. And it's, it's, it's taught me some really important lessons as well as, oh, and also, a big engineering thing is business and finances and statistics. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and I cannot stress enough the value of that as an independent artist. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's yeah. something that they didn't teach us in theater school. Now I no. have <laughs> I have two questions for you. One is sort of not a serious question, and one of them is actually a serious question. So I'm going to go with the bullshit question first. Yeah. The bullshit question is: of all of the robots that you built, which one was your favorite? Easy. My favorite robot was named Oscar the Grouch. It was 2015. The first robotics game was Recycle Rush. And I was a world champion level uh, human player and uh, computer aided design uh, uh, leader of the team. I put the whole robot into CAD. It was water jetted. I was very proud of him. He did so good. He was a beautiful purple uh, steel alloy. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> And I say perfect because that is the most, I'm so satisfied with how nerdy that answer was. It's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. I used Autodesk Inventor Pro 2013 suite in case you're wondering. Okay, thank you so much. That's so awesome. <laughs> so the serious question is, at what point, even before, if, before you left the class, at what point in engineering school were you like, this might have been a mistake? Oh, God. Do you want the sad answer? Yes, I want the, the honest I, answer. The the day that I accepted my offer to Queens. Oh my God. When I was applying for universities, I spent weeks looking at theater programs. And I, I didn't even know where to start because it was so out of my wheelhouse at that point. I had friends and like, it, it, not that Toronto isn't this incredible theater scene because it is, but growing up in the tri-state area, 90 minutes from New York City. Mm. Your competition is weeded out amongst you by the age of like 10. Sure. Right? Like I had friends who I went to school with all the way up until like grade eight and then they dipped and they went to the best performing arts high schools for grade nine through 12. You know what I mean? Like they went to yeah. Hartford. They went to New York. A lot of them went to New York for university for theater. And like, I never thought that I would ever, ever, ever be comparable to that, mm. that I would ever be able to hold a candle to that. I had not, it, to me, it felt like the Olympics. It was mm. like, well, I didn't start training when I was a kid. So, you know, that chapter has closed. I didn't mm. realize how wrong I was, of course, but, but I, <laughs> I, I didn't know where to start. So, yeah, when I was applying to universities for engineering programs and getting, you know, getting accepted places and it, it was really, it was kind of heartbreaking in a way. And I just swallowed it. It was a. Uh, it was not great. It was very. You kind of just broke sad. my heart a little by admitting that the day you accepted that you got the offer, you were like, "No." I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Just like pull that heart out and throw it on the ground. It was just a really like, sad couple of years. I'm not. It was very imagine. difficult. It changed me as a person. Yeah. Um. As far as changing you as a person, did you find who you were before that, or did you come out of? Did you finish that? That when you left, were you 100 percent a different person? When I left, what engineering or Queens? Uh, you engineering. When I left engineering, I don't think my confidence had ever been lower in my life. I really didn't like myself. as mm. This is getting deep, but I really didn't like myself as a person. Yeah. I had no self-confidence because I felt so lost and I was so afraid. Um, and there were a lot of things at that time that I was like kind of figuring out about myself. I was, I was raised in a, in, a, in a small Catholic immigrant town um, in New England. You know, people were pretty conservative and pretty staunch. Um, I found out that I was queer, you know, like all mm. these kinds of things that started kind of rolling in waves that didn't seem to stop. And then, you know, on top of it all, I'm like, well, I guess I'll just uproot my life direction and go into <laughs> the arts, you know, and there's also this very toxic culture in STEM in general. Sure. Kind of makes fun of arts degrees, right? I mean, we've all heard it, um, but 
it, it, it was really, it made it harder to, to pursue what I wanted to. Um, yeah. Because everyone around me, my friends, right? My colleagues, my professors would, would absolutely just dump all over arts degrees. Um, it's so then, what's, what, yeah. what is kind of ridiculous about that to me is, is, you know, there's been all of this focus on, on STEM and, and, you know, no, forget the humanities, yeah. forget the arts, just, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. And it's ridiculous. And then when you get into the business world a few years later, since we started pursuing like STEM as the be all and end all of the education system, we find business leaders who are like, uh, art students really are able to think out of the box in a way yeah. that, uh, our current people are not. So yep. uh, we're really looking for people who have a background in the arts and you're like, what world is this? Yep. It's so true. And it, I mean, not to, not to bring up dead poet society, right? But that line, yeah, no. like those are noble pursuits, but what makes life worth living? Look at this mm-hmm. pandemic. It's yeah. the artists that have mm-hmm. kept us alive. It's the filmmakers and the theater makers that have kept us safely in our homes and distracted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listen, um, if it wasn't yeah. for, if it wasn't for WandaVision, Falcon of the Winter Soldier and now, and soon Loki, I don't know what I would do with myself. Right. Like, and Hopefully, I mean, maybe it's naive and, and I don't know what you think, Megan, because it's it's one of those things. But hopefully when we come out of this pandemic, there will be a bit of a reframing around the way that we view those industries who have been kept open like film. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm technically an essential worker, um, mm-hmm. even though I'm I basically just work in a warehouse and work on sets. But we haven't stopped. Yeah, um, we're busier than ever. You know, I'm mm-hmm. pulling 12, 14 hour days on the regular. Um, yeah. And it's. It's something to think about, especially here in Toronto. Yeah. It's, it's such a huge industry. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Megan, just to come back to you, um, you, you mentioned the, you know, working on, on this audio drama that you were, that you were creating uh, that you're doing at the Toronto Fringe. Um, as far as creating a, sh- a play goes, <sighs> Was this something that you had considered doing before this, or were you like driven to by by searching for your voice while at the program? Oh wow, that's a really good question. I love that question. I'm like smiling so hard. Um, well, I th- well I think I started to find my voice like in my second year. I wrote uh, and like we have this thing at York called Playground, um, and it's like a short theater festival where there's like 15 minute plays, and there's seven of them. Um, and it's a good way to kind of like test the waters. <laughs> You're like, is this good? No, it's not. Okay, never mind. Never mind. It's only 15 minutes. Or is this? <laughs> oh, wait, no, I like this. Um, which is really fun. It's like a really cool way for like um, like um, theater students to like see what they like in theater. Mm. Um, but yeah, I like wrote um, this 15 minute like po- like pour out piece called Concealer where it was like three uh, black girls in, in um a bedroom they're best friends and they're figuring out like what the hell they were going to do when they graduate because they weren't going to have each other and one of them was going to go to queens which is not the best place for people. no it's not it's not diverse yeah, no. <laughs> yeah moving on and, then one of them, and so they were all just like talking with that and and it, it kind of like like it was the it was a very much straight play mm-hmm. uh, or straight short play I, I should say and then i was like oh cool i like this I want them to move. And then the next year I was like, I devised um, a 15 minute play for the next year's playground festival um, where for, where we would hear the stories of the daughters of African women um, because um, I'm an African woman, Mm. um, like tell their mother's stories. 
Um, and they would move like their mothers and they would sing their mother's songs, sing lullabies of their grandmothers. And it was so like, it was such an important piece to me. Um, and I was like, I want to do this again. And I want to make it an hour. And um, York annually puts on the vagina monologues mm. um, and they, and I applied to be director and I was like, we're not doing the vagina monologues <laughs> because it was done every year for 20 years. Sure. And they it's had like much. one, maybe person of color on a good year. Uh-huh. Seriously. Um, well, like I don't, I, theater is a very white yeah. Like, and I told, and, and the directors would usually like, they just didn't know how to, I'm like, they didn't know you, you need to have specific people direct for their specific people, find their specific people, write for their specific people. And I really mm. wanted to do that. And I was like, let's just change things up. Like the vagina models is an iconic play. Everyone knows it. What if we create something brand new? Um, and that's what I did. I found like eight actors and we all wrote together on prompts and wrote about our experiences as women and people of color um, and everything, what it's like to grow up what is as a girl of color to a woman of color. Hmm. Um, and then we just created this script and, and we hope to stage it. We, like we, it took a year. We started in September and we wanted to stage it by summer, like in September. Ha ha. When we thought the pandemic would be yes, over. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, but alas, that's life. And that, that was kind of the process. I just kept like wanting to do more. Like once I like achieved something in my creation work, I was like, what's next? Like what's something next I can do? Hmm. That's how it kind of came to be. Hmm. I think that one of the worst things about our theater system is the fact that our the the schools are predominantly attended by and taught by white people. Yes. We are not producing and making theater spaces that are friendly to people of color. Um, I know when I was in theater school, we won't talk about how long ago that was. Um, <laughs> my class, when I started, had had two black kids in it. And by the end of the first year, both of them were gone. Oh. Because they had been cut from the program. And that was what we sort of saw in several different years was that that was the pattern. We would bring in diversity and then divest ourselves of it through the program or whatever by the time, you know, that's how. But I mean, a lot of that, I think, is not just like the students don't see themselves in their teachers and the teachers don't utilize them in 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 any way you know and that's mm-hmm. that's i think one of the things that that ultimately is the 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 tragedy of the theater system that we've built that really needs to be torn down i think some theater schools are getting better sort of slowly i think it's a long way to go phil I know, I know. And that's why I say sort of, because theater schools move slower than the theater world. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's one of those things that like, and I think it's not just enough to say we need to make this space, this space friendly to BIPOC. It needs to be run, managed, and, and boarded by mm-hmm. um, 
people of color, people who are two-spirited, people who are indigenous, because yeah. first of all, we're on unceded lands as a nation, right? Yes. And like, if we're going to be telling art on a space, you can't take the space out of the context of the art, which I think a lot of programs have been getting better about. But then you get those insincere land acknowledgement sure you know at the beginning of shows that yeah there's so many things and i'm really glad that we're addressing it now but i think you're very right that it needs to start in the schools with the professorial staff Mm -hmm. and with the staff who manage the departments because if arts are going to set the precedent as they always have about leading progressivism that's where it needs to start and you know and then what we're really seeing in my opinion is just faculties and people refusing to retire who really Ugh. should. Yeah. Right. Like, but then we see that we see that in the leadership at all, like not just yeah. in theater schools, we see that in the leadership in a lot of theaters as well. Oh yeah. People who've been in that leadership per- position for 10, 15 years, just holding on and still doing things the way that they, that they're doing, not fostering really the new generation of, of arts leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Megan, you are in the unique position of having started theater school mm-hmm. pre-pandemic mm-hmm. and then having to finish it in the midst of a pandemic. How was that adjustment for you as a student? Um, it was hard. It was just sad. I think it was just sad, especially because it was my final year. So we didn't get our final like mounted shows, which would, you know, we've been looking forward to for four years. Mm. Um, So that was sad. Um, Yeah, I just, I mean, it's kind of what I said earlier. I just miss feeling people. I mean, I had a hard, (laughs) I had a hard time in theater school. So Mm. I kind of took it as like a way to kind of heal myself. Sure. Like, I was like, okay, what's the silver lining here? And, like, I got to focus so much more on Swallow the Skin and um, learn who I was as an actor alone. Mm. Like, that was something, like, to completely train alone. Like, your movement teacher is on Zoom. Okay. You got you to rely on yourself a lot. Um, yeah. Which was really, I think, actually a really great thing. Like, I learned a lot of self-discipline um, mm. because it's, it's really you. So, I guess that was really helpful. But, I mean, it was really sad. To, to miss, like, you know, the final hurrah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so were your classes pretty much all online from, like, March last year? Uh, yeah. Well, luckily, like, we finished right around when it started. So oh. I, I finished my third year. Mm. Um, we just, yeah, but fourth year was, like, completely online. Um, like, but the good thing, I mean, the good thing is we would done a lot, well, good thing. We did a lot of camera work stuff, so it wasn't yeah. as bad as like theater. Cause like theater's so hard on Zoom. Like film, yeah. you can yes. just, like figure it out a little bit better yeah. uh, because it's camera already. Um so we kind of just focused on that and voice work rather mm. than like stage theater. And then the the play that we would have staged, it just became an audio play, which was mortified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a difficult transition to make because you know, especially when you're looking forward to that final production, that showcase production, and then to have to sort of like, like let that go and just make it an audio play. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I know. And I, I was excited. I mean, I got like, we thought we were going to stage it and I was lucky enough to. Mm-hmm. Enough to um, 
But I mean, what, 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 what am I going to do? I'm going to yell at the sky. I can't really do anything about it. I was like, <laughs> well, well, that's I'm the thing. Do you know what I mean? I, was, <laughs> I talked to my, like my artist friends. I'm like, there's literally nothing. Like there's no one to get mad at. There's nothing to do mm-hmm. except for breathe and use this opportunity to continue your craft in any way you can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, 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 mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it is. I mean, it's looking up from here, but I don't want to jinx anything. knock on wood no nobody wants to it's like it's like we're talking about like the future in ontario and nobody wants to actually say anything just in case (laughs) megan is is school doing anything like because i know that final showcase is supposed to be where they invite agents and they invite theater directors are they doing anything to compensate that side for you guys uh yeah i think it was like a canada-wide thing it was still done. It was just in a different format, like okay. online. Okay. Because I, yeah. Um, everything I, was online, you know, fun, fun stuff online. Yeah. I'm really, really, like, and Here, I can't imagine theater? being in theater school. Oh, sorry, what? Oh, no, no. I was just saying, like, I, like I'm still trying to figure out what theater, like theater means yeah. online. Yes. And you know, like, I think, I think that's the question that, that we're like, all kind of asking is, what is it? Yeah. It's wild. I, it, yeah. yeah. I, I was, I, w- I graduated in 2020, like three weeks um, after the lockdown happened is when I was supposed to graduate Queens. Um, and we, we missed out on all the pomp and circumstance, but I was actually mm. totally fine with it because it's really just a bunch of people sitting in an overly hot room. Right. <laughs> but it was the, uh, it was the grad school kicker for me. It was the acting school that, that I had to say no to. Um that mm. I've been so upset about because uh, mm. I'd spent months, you know, auditioning and I went down to Yale and, and the whole shebang and mm. um, things had gone super well. And, and then I was just like, I, I got into one of my dream schools and just had to say no, because it was a year program. And I had this feeling like, even when they were like, mm. Oh, it'll be three months, right? Three months of a, of a pandemic. I had this feeling that it was going to go really long just in my gut. And I, it, it was it's been a rough go for a lot of theater artists. And I know yeah. Megan and I have been lucky to be busy and be involved in our craft. Mm. Um, but I know so many kids who this was their dream and now they're, you know, at home doing what a lot of people have had to do, which is just get a, a, a quote unquote normal job. Yeah. Um, and, and suffer through it. But even worse than a lot of those quote unquote normal jobs is those are online too, in a lot of places. Oh, yeah. So you don't even have like the camaraderie of going into an office. Yeah. It's, it's so, and for people who, usually thrive on human connection, right? We're now all stuck at home, <laughs> unable mm. to connect in any meaningful way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Just as we start to draw to a close, um, one of the questions that I've been asking everybody essentially since the pandemic started is a question about joy. And that question mm-hmm. is uh, because we've all had our ups and downs during this, this pandemic, this, these 15 months of, of this pandemic. And I think it's a good idea to share the things that have made us joyful, that have given us joy. So if each of you could tell me something that has been giving you joy lately. Mm. Oh, that's a really nice question. Meg, do you have anything? 
Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've just been like, I'm like listening at, to like life so much more. Oh, that's so cheesy, Megan. You're such an artist. Like, no, I've just been no, no, no. It's like, awesome. It's wonderful. I, I shuddered as I said that. I'm so. No, <laughs> don't. No, it's wonderful. I feel, I don't know. I just feel like I pay attention a lot more. Like everything is so uh, nice. Like everything is just so important. I feel like every time, like every, I laugh a lot. Because mm. I, I, like that feels nice. I love coffee. That's great. Like just seeing going outside, breathing air, like, <laughs> like with other people though. Like seeing my friends. Like you know, even though we're far and, we're, and you know we're safe, like it's just mm. to see them is is so nice. And it really like I, I think as an artist, it's so important to to really take in those things mm. and and feel those things and feel life um, because that's kind of our job, especially as actors, to like we just show life in different ways in our bodies. Hmm. And that's been nice to do in this, in this new way. I guess everything's a bit more heightened, which is kind of, you know, a silver lining to all this. Yeah. You know, I was thinking as I was outside today, I was passing by a coffee shop that was pretty much shut. And I imagined myself walking into that coffee shop without a mask on and having people sitting around at seats and ordering a coffee at that coffee shop. And I had a moment of like how beautiful that would be to do. That's amazing. But isn't that sad? Like it's not, it's not sad, but it's, it's like, it's a very poignant sensation, isn't it? Looking, especially because I just moved to Toronto in January and I've never Mm. known the city outside of a pandemic. Oh my God. And I find myself looking at places going, Oh God, I wonder what that would be like. Mm. To walk in there or to go shopping there or to meet my friends there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's I uh I, I think I've been finding joy, much like Megan said, the the pacing change. I remember mm. before the pandemic, and it's that fear that everybody has when they're getting ready to graduate school, right? God, I wish I could just take a break. I wish the world would just freeze for a minute. <laughs> Damn, did I get what I asked for? Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's been I have found joy in doing a lot of inner work on walls that I have put up as a person because mm. of some of the things that, that I've, that I've been through and in, in my own growth and letting people back in, in a way that I didn't think that I would like. I, I always fancied myself much m- more introverted than I think I actually am now. If that makes sense. I, I have found a lot of joy in, in new people and new things um, mm. and just, learning to to listen i guess to to the pace of things and to the heartbeat of things around me mm. it's been again a very cheesy line there we go no it's yeah. wonderful you know i have a theory about about introverts as one myself um and in fact i i have a po- another podcast about being an introvert um with another actor um <laughs> and we've we we talk about a lot of people misunderstand introversion but that more people are actually ambiverts, so somewhere else on the spectrum between introvert and amber and and extrovert, um, more people sit there than on either of the extremes. Yeah. So one can go back and forth in a very uh, uh, fluid way, and so even though I think a lot of us during this pandemic have found a little bit, ourselves a little bit more introverted, when the opportunity comes we may find ourselves sliding back along that spectrum into yeah. a little bit of extroversion, even though we normally probably wouldn't have. 
Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been like flexing a muscle. I didn't know I had, Mm -hmm. um, or hadn't flexed in a while. It's been, it's been joyful. Hmm. (laughs) Gwyneth and Megan, thank you so much for this conversation. I've enjoyed this a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.